Oh, welcome to Bible study series. We are uh, studying about how to interpret scriptures. And today we are uh, talking about Genesis as foundation, part two. This is Nick Rita, your host, and we are very happy to have you with us today. I would like to introduce our panel, and today we have uh, Ken with us. Ken, thank you very much for joining us. Very happy to be here, Nick. Also, Will, thank you for being part of this Bible study. It's a privilege, Nick. Helen, very good to have you with us also. Lovely to be here, Nick. It's cold outside, but I'm warm in my heart. Looking forward to the study. Thank you. And Lija, good to have you with us again. Very appreciative to study God's holy word today. Today we have... Uh, our teacher is Len. Uh, thank you, Len, for uh, preparing this Bible study, facilitating this. Uh, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Nick. And I hope you enjoy this study, listeners. It could be a little di bit different than some of the others we've had. But as was said, we are studying a series of subjects about Genesis as a foundation for our faith. And this is the ninth. Now, last week, we considered the subject of origins, the biblical account of how the world and the life that's in it came to be is recorded in the early chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Simply put, God created the world in six days. Now, opposing the biblical account is the humanist or the materialist or the evolutionary view which assumes that what we are and what's in our environment came into being unguided and unaided all through pure chance. Not just one chance, but multiple billions of chances that supposedly happened to work out just right. This week we'll look into cosmology, the study of the formation of the universe. We'll look into some ancient literature, the influence of paganism, genealogies and scriptural statements in order to provide evidence to give you confidence that the biblical worldview of origins is worthy of your acceptance. Before we begin, Helen is going to pray for us. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful that we can come here today to study your word. We thank you for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit as we study. I pray that what we go through will um, strengthen our faith as well as the faith of the listeners. We thank you, Lord, that you are the great creator and the king of kings. We thank you that you're our best friend. And we thank you again, Lord, that we can look at this world and see the beauty and uh, the, um, the, be amazed by the creation of this world. Father, help us not to offend anyone, but help us, Lord, to present the truth from the Bible as you would have us do. Pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, to start off, there is a beautiful text in the book of Psalms, chapter 19 and verse 1. Will, would you like to read that and maybe make a short comment? Yes, the... Uh Psalm 19 verse 1 has, is a concise proclamation 
that God is the creator. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, panel and listeners, the Bible compared to the other humanist and materialist views doesn't teach an antiquated, unscientific view of the origins of the universe. Of course, opponents would say that um, everything in the universe began about 14 or 15 million or billion years ago and attributed to a big bang. And then since then, everything started happening by pure chance. Evolutionists claim that uh, creation, as given in the scriptures, is not science, implying that evolution, of course, is science. But I believe that evolution is not uh, a definite science. And the conjecture remains only a theory and not to be proven. Both worldviews, that is creation and evolution, must be accepted by faith. We believe it is much more reasonable to accept the biblical account of origins as the evidence of creation and a worldwide flood and that it's far more persuasive. Thank you. Well, Helen? Yes, I was thinking of that text, you know, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. We look up at the heavens, you know, we, we see the beautiful array of the, all the stars. But when it says the skies display his craftsmanship, I'm reminded of many a sunset that I've seen and a sunrise. And I think what a fantastic display of God's craftsmanship uh, in the heavens. It gives dramatic evidence, I believe, for the existence of his power, his love, and his care and um, you know I can't say that this world evolved because for me it didn't just happen by chance it, it couldn't have because it was designed it's intricate it's detailness it all points to a personally involved creator you know I think as we look at God's handiwork in nature and in the heavens we need to thank him for such a magnificent beauty and um, the truth that he's given us that reveals God, the creator. Yes, thank you, Helen. Ken? I just wanted to add, Glenn, before we get too deep into this today, that our listeners, that instead of maybe just believing either one or the other evolution or creation, that would actually take a little bit of time to check these things out because there is so much Bible proof today, but you need to look into it. I've had the privilege, and I hope you have had the privilege, listeners, of being out in an area on a dark night away from the city lights. You can look up into the sky and see these squillions of stars and constellations and galaxies that are up there. And I did this one night with a friend in the country way up back, and it wasn't very long before the subject came up, how did it get there? And the answer, I believe, is in that text that Will read, the heavens declare the glory of God. Ken, we're going to be talking about the earth and what shape is the earth? Well, if you read Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, you might get a wrong idea, but let's hear what that chapter and verse say. 
Okay, I'm just reading from the King James Version here, chapter 7 and verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, this is uh, really interesting because it's a, a metaphoric statement, meaning from all parts of the earth. Yes, well, I've been around the world a few, few times, and I never came across any actual corners. Ledger, the book of Job, chapter 26 and verses 7 to 10, explains how God made the heavens and earth. Would you like to share that with us? Yes, my pleasure. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under the, their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. We observe here that it's mentioning many times that God, he, he created, he spreads, he wraps, he covers, he marks so uh, it means God is the creator of the entire universe. And uh, verse 7 is mentioning that he suspends the earth over nothing, holding in his hand, in his care, in his power of, of the creator. Here we see the difference between the two worldviews of creation and evolution. Evolution claims that Things came into being on their own, unguided, unaided. Here it talks about God creating and he planned it. It wasn't a haphazard event. But let's just talk about for a moment, what does it mean? He hangs the earth on nothing, Helen. Well, God didn't need anything to create anything with. He can bring it out of nothing. You know, he spoke by his word. And the earth, if you see the pictures and what have you, it's not hanging by cords or anything like that, but it does appear to hang in that place. And I believe God also created the gravitational force um, was put into place at that time as well. Because if you take away gravity, everything about our planet rapidly stops, you know, um, it's all stops making sense. The atmosphere would be gone because it's held to the planet by gravity. The tides would be gone. They're caused by the gravitational pull of the moon, which tugs on the oceans, causes them to subtly bulge out as it swings by. The moon itself would be gone, you know, because the explanation of the moon's existence involves gravity. It's just amazing when you look at it all. Even the gravity is also responsible for the Earth's layered structure. So even though we see no, no cause or what have you, God designed it in such a way that he made it out of nothing. He hung it on nothing, but he made the gravitational force so it would all line up with our earth. I remember as a child uh, going through an art gallery and uh, being bewildered by a, a Greek sculpture showing a, a strong man, Atlas, holding up the world. And I was, uh, I asked questions about that. How can, uh, is that how our world is really held up? And of course, the answer I got from my father was, was no. 
but it also conjures up images of uh, of Indian elephants standing on a giant turtle holding up the earth. Science has, of course, proved both of those images wrong. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before Christ and certainly before modern astronomy. What does it say about the shape of the earth, Legend? In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21 and 22, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in it. So in verse 22, it says that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. From here, we can get the idea of the shape of the earth. All right. It talks about a circle of the earth. Yeah. Whereas in Revelation, it mentioned the four corners, but that was a metaphorical statement. Ken, have you ever heard about a flat earth society? Uh, I, I actually haven't, uh, Leon, and I find it incredible today that anyone would believe that there is such thing as a flat earth. There's just so much proof today, not only written proof, but visual proof that the earth is actually round. And we have people that have, thousands of people have flown around the earth, an aircraft, and we can see pictures from space also that, the earth is round. And if you think about it logically, even from the earliest, earliest days, people stand on the earth looking into space or even just looking at the sun and the moon, they're round. And you would assume surely that with all these other planets, surely the earth must be round as well. So I think the proof today is certainly overwhelming. We certainly have a round earth. Yes, well, there are people who say the circle of the earth means it's shaped like a coin. Whereas I believe what you said is correct because from space and from travelling around the Earth in different ways, the Earth has been photographed and seen from different angles and it's always a circle. So ancient man probably had no idea of the shape of the Earth, the planet they were living on. It's interesting while you mentioned that, Len, uh, because we just talked about the Isaiah and Job, you know, even though you're right what you're saying, that uh, generally people may not have an idea because science were not proving that thing. And also, as Ken said, even through pictures, you know, taken from the space to prove that thing. And still in Job and Isaiah was references to the earth as being uh, uh, round, even though mentioned the circle thing. And I believe here the scientific uh, world should really consider that, that those people back in those days had an understanding of the shape of the earth as science later on proven. Well, well not just science either, but Christopher Columbus believed in the words of the scriptures and he believed this by sailing west he could come to the Spice Islands where normally they had sailed east. There was almost a mutiny on board the ships because the sailors thought they were going to drop off the edge. 
And you can see on some of the ancient maps, there was an edge to the circle, and then there were written on the maps, here be dragons. And people suspected prior to Columbus actually sailing, well, he didn't actually go right around the earth because America got in the way. But later Ferdinand Magellan went right around and the earth is definitely spherical. It's interesting when you say that because it shows us that this flat earth theory was in vogue many, many years ago, but it's raised itself again now. In fact, in reading some of the scientific reports, I read uh, just recently that if the earth was flattened out, so to speak, the gravitational force would pull the earth back into that spherical shape. And also, I believe that eight times flat earth people uh, believing in that have tried to challenge science eight times on this and they failed each time. I know that some are very um, adamant in their belief and um, I respect that. However, as you say, when you look at scripture, it definitely mentions a world circle, doesn't it? But as you say, does that mean a circle of a coin or does it mean a circle as we look at it? But I think the photos that we get from space as well as the scientific remarks about the gravity, certainly we need to think about. Mm. Yes, I think it's fairly well established that the Earth is largely spherical. And uh, although it's not entirely spherical, it's slightly pear-shaped and that shape is called a geoid. You know, some ancient cultures have recorded through stories, such as the Dreamtime stories, in the case of the Australian Aboriginals, and in other instances through symbols and literature, to explain the creation of the earth. According to the ancient Egyptians, men were supposed to have been created to serve the gods. We're talking about ancient the Bible is also an ancient book. What does it say about the creation of man, Will? Well, the Bible, as you've said, is an ancient book, and we have several uh, other accounts of creation and um, of, the, of the flood in Egyptian records, as well as the, uh, the Gilganish ec um, epic. That makes interesting reading, by the way, but... The Bible, just as old and older than these records, being an ancient book, it says about the creation of man, Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created man in his own image. The image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And in Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so man, his origins were from the elements and compounds of, uh, of the earth and that he made, was made in God's image. And above all, he was given life by God. Life, you know, comes from God, the life giver, not from some sort of inorganic compounds bumping into each other. So man was, according to the Bible, made complete. He was not made in part, as some people like to suggest, 
in coming from a lesser life form, God made man complete. Not as a baby, but as a complete, mature adult. Well, we've just talked about man generally, meaning mankind. What about woman, Helen? What does the Bible say about woman? I'm going to be a little controversial here. Um, Yes, man was made complete. And uh, then God wanted to go on with his creative work because his creative work was not complete until he <clears throat> made woman. And um, I see some smiles on these gentlemen's faces. <laughs> but however, um, yeah, he, he could have made Eve from the dust of the ground like um, Adam, but he chose not to. And I believe he had a very good reason for this, but he in Genesis in um, chapter 2 verse 21 and 22 it gives us the description of how Eve was created and I think it's interesting when the, the first part of this text tells us that God puts put Adam into a deep sleep and as one evangelist said it, God was the originator of anesthetic because Adam didn't feel anything but however, in this verse, it says in 22 and 21 and 22, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. How interesting that he took the rib, which is, you know, in the area around near the heart, and he created woman and he created her from the point of view of marriage, I believe, it was symbolically to, to show that man and woman are one and they are one and God brought them together in marriage for that. So I think God treats this special partnership very seriously and throughout the Bible he uses marriage in a lot of illustrations, but I think primarily it was to show the unity, the closeness um, and the equality of men and women, both created by God. Just to add a little bit to what you just said, that uh, you believe that was incomplete, you know, the creation uh, before the God created the woman. And probably that's why we, be, we still live in a very incomplete world, because it's believed that women are from one planet and men from another planet, you know. Be uh, reading that book. <laughs> we should be one. So women were not from Venus and men from Mars after all. Oh, you've read it too, Len. (laughs) I haven't read the book, but I know a little bit about it. All right, well, besides all that, God made time. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. And Ken, could you tell us a little bit about the origin of the names of the days of the week, and in particular Sunday and Monday? Well, we're looking back, uh, the ancient people worshipped the sun. Many of them worshipped the sun and many of them worshipped the moon. And hence the name Sunday and Monday. But there's a, a really interesting account in Genesis. And, of course, people ask, well, where did the sun and the moon come from? Was it from the Big Bang or was there some other uh, explanation for it? And I'll read through these few verses, not many here. So we're looking at Genesis 1 verses 14 to 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth. And it was so. 
And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. He made the stars also. And God sent them, set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So here we have uh, a clear explanation of where these lights came from, from and what they were for. All right. Well, I don't know if you know about Professor Paul Davies. He actually won a Nobel Prize, I believe, for the book he'd written called The Mind of God. And it was his thesis that God made certain basic elements of the universe. He kicked it off, in other words, and then let it form on its own. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that everything was made deliberately and in order. Now, with relation to the earth, the sun and the moon, there are some very, very interesting things. And listeners, I would like you to really take note of this. It tells me very much that God is the creator. It just did not happen haphazardly. Well, would you like to share with us on this one? Yes, there's, it's very interesting to see exactly what the positioning of the earth and the moon and the sun have, the rotation of the earth scientifically and practically. Uh, let's take, for example, the sun. The sun is about 150 million kilometers away. And scientists confirm that if it was placed a little closer we would be incinerated to a crisp. If the sun was placed a little further away, we and uh, it would quickly freeze. Needless to say, life would be impossible. And if we look to the moon, the moon's about 384,000 kilometers away. It too, if it was a few kilometers closer, the imbalance in the gravity would make it crash into the earth. Uh, further away, I believe it would just float off into space. Earth, if we looked at it, itself is exactly the right size to support life. Its conditions and its atmosphere have exactly the right gravity and conditions. Earth, in fact, has the right mix in the air, a slight imbalance between the carbon dioxide and oxygen, and, in fact, the presence of water, would make life impossible if it wasn't in perfect balance. Yes. You know, this tells me then, and panel and listener, that this doesn't come by accident. It's not per chance. It is all based on the intelligent, powerful, loving creator God who knew exactly from the beginning how to frame things together. Yes, these are important things. I mean... Just take the distance of the Earth from the Sun. Just bring the Earth 10 kilometres closer to the Sun, as you were saying, Will, and we'd be in trouble. I understand that the northern lights are scary to uh, the scientists because that's where um, the Sun's rays become dangerous to Earth. And um, it shows that there's a perfect balance between all these things by the Creator. Yes. Yeah. Just another another thing to mention. Uh, we refer to the sun and the moon. 
and it's interesting the language used in the Bible also that uh, it mentions that uh, about the greater light and the lesser light, not even mentioning, you know, the, the sun and the moon, because, you know, human beings, they were always taking different uh, views of uh, the creation. And, for example, in the Greek mythology and, uh, you know, some other old, uh, you know, religions, you know, they were referred as, as gods, particularly the sun, as the God, the moon, God. But the Bible is telling us that it, they are just, uh, you know, a greater light and a lesser light, one to, to make the difference in between the day and night, you know. How interesting is the Bible it's mentioning those things, rather than not leaving any room there for uh, such interpretations as, uh, as people can come up with. It's very interesting that people worship the created items rather than the one who created mm. those items. And that's just the way of mankind. Now, talking about time, Lydia, do you remember when you had your last doctor's appointment? I really can't remember when I've been to the doctor last time, but if I have an appointment, for example, let's say uh, 10.30 a.m., uh, the day of Tuesday, April 21st, 2020, A.D. So, um, to me, if I give my explanation that I understand, gives me an account of the timetable uh, in which I live to depict easier the time. It's like a reference point. And uh, to be able to recount and record the past time, the present time, and the future time, and not to get lost in time. All right, well, of course, the, uh, it's 2020 AD refers to Jesus. AD, it says Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. In fact, every time you write or see the date, it refers to Jesus. Jesus is the grand pivotal point of history, dividing BC and AD, before Christ. Anno Domini, B.C. A.D. You know, unbelievers unwittingly acknowledge Jesus' existence when they read a date or have a birthday or something like that. Well, who invented time, Helen? God. <laughs> when we look at a year, we get the year from the revolution of the earth round the sun and God created both. When we look at a month, we get that cycle from the moon. When we look at a day, evening and morning is mentioned in Genesis, quite a number of texts. So God gave the day and the week. And I was interested to see that even as far as the hours of the day, the daylight, Jesus mentioned in John 11 verse 9, he said, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. And I think that kind of explains it. Yeah, God right the way through. Wonderful, wonderful God. We'd have to put some um, codicils on that particular statement, of course, because of the tilt of the earth and the latitude where one lives. Uh, I was in Iceland a few years ago, and the sun set at 1 a.m. and then rose at 2 a.m. So there were 23 hours of sunlight per day. But the division is at the equator, the equinox, 
12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of dark. Now, Ken, why are there seven days in a week and well, not ten or eight or something like that? If we go again back to God's word in Genesis, it tells us in Genesis 1 that God created man on his first day and rested on the seventh day, and that was a week. He, he makes that very clear. But it's such, such an interesting topic because over the years, um, we're so in, in the early time, different civilizations changed the days from eight days sometimes up to 12 days, but everything went out of balance and it just didn't work out. And I've always returned to seven days because everything works best in seven days. And if you look into the Bible, we clearly learn that seven is God's number. So it all came back to God. It's interesting, too. I don't know if you're aware, but the decimal system actually began in France. So we've got 10 millimetres, one centimetre, 10 centimetres, one decimeter, and so on and so on, all based around the number 10. And at one stage, the French decided to have 10 days in a week. It's easy. It's an easy number to work with. But like you said there, Ken, it didn't work with the people. It seemed to be the whole cycle of life seemed to be upset. I also heard of the Romans who decided to have an eight-day week. And so they had what we would say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then they had a fill-in day called a no-day, and then the week would start again. But that didn't work either. Well, in talking about time, Genesis chapter 5 provides some what we would call chronogenealogies of the human race from Adam to Noah's flood. Well, would you like to share with us about this? Yes, we, we looked a moment ago at the AD, the Anno Domini, the, the measurement in time um, established, years, that looks back uh, to Jesus. And um, there is in Genesis 5 a span of time looking back to creation. Uh, and this is also furthered in inspired clarification of history in this uh, in this verse, Genesis chapter five and verse three and four, Adam lived one hundred and thirty years, and begot a son in his own likeness after his image, and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years. And he died. And so this is important to me because it's a inspired clarification of the time right back to Genesis flood as well as creation. And this doesn't permit me to uh, think of millions of years of the history of mankind on earth then. Yes. Helen, some of these... Patriarchs, as they are known, lived to great ages, I believe. Methuselah was the oldest, 969 years. What do these great ages of our first ancestors indicate? It indicates when God created um, the earth and created man, it was good. In fact, it was very good. And he created them perfect, 
And of course, then sadly enough, sin came into our world. And although the evolutionists say that we are still evolving, if you look uh, at history and down through history and see that it is no longer very good, it's not even longer good because man has really corrupted the environment and their own bodies by doing the wrong things that haven't been good for them. And so instead of evolution, we, rehab, we have a deterioration or a de-evolution, if you want to call it, a devolution, if you want to call it. We are going the wrong way. But God's going to rectify that, Len. One day he's going to make everything new again, and that will just be fantastic. What we're talking about has been of great interest to me through most of my life. I have a whole shelf of books on the debate between evolution and creation. I was also very interested to read recently in a book I've just read called Deep Time about the genetic mistakes that occur in human beings. And I think back to Adam and the early uh, people after that time who lived such long years, and in them there were not these genetic mistakes. I don't know if you realise, but with every generation, there are at least 100 genetic mistakes, bad mutations. By the way, there are very rarely any good mutations. It's always devolution, not evolution. So my children have probably 100 more mistakes, maybe up to 300, than what I have. Their children will have similar. They'll have mistakes, which um, indicates to me that the human race is deteriorating. We're talking about time, and time must have a reference point. In the Old Testament, time was reckoned from creation and referenced according to the ages of the patriarchs. Then later, by the reigns of the Israelite kings. Jesus is the central point of time. In around 1650, an Irish Anglican priest, Archbishop James Usher, using these chronologies, calculated that creation occurred in 4004 BC. Now, there's quite a bit of difference there between what the creationists and the evolutionists have to say. I want to share something very interesting with you. While we were holidaying in Europe, my wife and I visited a Jewish cemetery that was not destroyed by the Germans in World War II. The gravestones were very interesting, and I took a number of pictures. And here is one example I took from the gravestone. I'm going to translate the Dutch to English. This is what the gravestone said. Here lies our beloved mother, Sarah van Hamburg, married to Joel Jacob Cohen. Now take notice of this. Born 20th of July, 5,615. Died 15th of April, 5,702. You see, the Jews dated their time from creation. Bible times and long multi-millions of years of evolution are not in agreement and it would require a separate study 
but I have a lot of information about dating methods and the dishonest numbers and information fed to the public by evolutionary based scientists. Nick. I just realized that, Lynn, when you said that even the Jewish people, uh, you know, they didn't use the mythology, you know, like uh, uh, Jesus is the center because they didn't, uh, they don't believe in Jesus, yet, in, in, uh, in the Messiah. Uh, coming yet and that's interesting because if you believe in Jesus then up to Jesus was a decreasing chronology and uh, uh, you know after after Jesus uh, an increasing one is that the correct yes even yes. the the Jewish people they didn't uh, took that in account uh, but what I was going to say that it's interesting that we learn about the Greek way of interpretation or uh, paganism and we talk about science and uh, atheism, all those, uh, you know, people trying to make an interpretation of the things which they can see or can prove, and not to take in account things like you mentioned, we mentioned earlier about the week period, the, the days, and so on and so forth, which all of them are still acknowledging today. Society function under this methodology yeah and uh, i think this is amazing to to disclaim the creation and still accept you know as you mentioned there even the the calendar and uh, to count the years you know before christ and after christ that's quite amazing yes um just before you speak Ken, uh, you mentioned about uh, evolution trying to prove or will mention about evolutionists think that evolution is science but they can't prove it and because you can't prove it uh, the scientific method does not apply evolution is a belief rather than science and when evolutionists criticize creationists as they have done many many times they say but creation is not science it's belief but so is evolution which is uh, to be a very important thing because you cannot prove it who was there to see it happen if it was evolution it must be based on a certain amount of faith i think um concerning that you need i believe you need more faith to believe in evolution than you do in a master designer and a creator God because if you look at all the all the systems in this world and even looking at the body and the systems of the body it didn't just happen it just you know it's too complex yes and I agree with you uh, what Will was saying before about the positioning of the earth moon and sun has to be so precise so that otherwise it would be total disaster human life wouldn't be possible. I had someone say to me one day that he believed in Jesus Christ and what he said, but he didn't believe in all that Old Testament stuff, implying that the Old Testament was myths and legends and made up moralistic stories. What, we, what I would like us to do now is to look at some New Testament statements that support the Old Testament. And uh, 
we'll, get, we'll look at some of the statements of Jesus and some of the different uh, disciples, apostles. So we have a number of texts here, and I want you listeners to take good notice of this because if Jesus believed, then that's a good reason for us to believe. So, Lydia, would you like to share Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5? Yes. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, here is Jesus talking about the creation, and uh, uh, here is one of, of the institution that uh, God created, uh, the institution of uh, marriage between a man and a woman. So the, the other, so the marriage, and the other institution is the Sabbath. So Jesus is mentioning here about the, one of the institution between male and female. Well, let's look at another text. Luke 11, verses 50 and 51. Ken, would you like to share that with us? Sure. That the blood of all prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel on to the blood of Zechariah, which perished between the altar and the temple. Surely I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So here we see that Jesus is talking in the book of Revelation about the beginning of the earth that's talked about in Genesis. All right. Now, did I hear that right? Where Jesus was talking about the creation rather than the evolution of the world? There's a big difference. Absolutely. And Jesus said that the world was created. And other texts support that too. Nick, would you like to share with us what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the first three verses? Yes, not only Jesus mentioned and uh, yeah, made references to creation, but also the disciples, as you pointed out, Len, in the um, Gospel of John, uh, we read in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Which points out that Christ was involved in creation. But you know, there's something very interesting here. Creation and evolution, although they might be poles apart, share one thing, and that is that the world had a beginning but different causes are ascribed to it. Those of us who believe the Bible say, yes, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. But uh, the evolutionists say it came about by other means, unguided and unaided. All right, let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say in Acts chapter 14, verse 15. Yeah, Paul made a statement um, following the fact that um, he was asking the question to the people what they were doing, but he brought in about God making all things. I'm reading Acts chapter 14, verse 15 from the New Living Translation, and it says here, uh, we are merely human beings just like you, 
We've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. All right. Well, that's a pretty clear statement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Who made heavens and earth and everything that is in them. Well, uh, the Apostle Paul continues in another place. Would you like to share Romans chapter 1, verse 20 with us? Yes, interesting. Uh, Paul attributes creation to a definite event, not a process of millions of years. He says in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's saying basically here that even the casual observer, if he looks carefully at the creations of God, earth, sea, sky, flower, animals, whatever, they have no excuse to believe anything else uh, than a creator God. And I find this fascinating. When I look at the structure of a plant, how that everything works. If I look at the structure of an insect, it works. I look at the structure of the human body or the body of a mammal, it works. And you've got all these systems working together. It takes a very intelligent and powerful being to create something like that. It was haphazard. It wouldn't work. It would die out. But it it works. All right. Well, let's go on and look what the apostles Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Yes, it says for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And Paul is reminding here about the creation of light and separating light from from darkness. Yes, there are a whole plethora of things which the Bible covers that God created, which probably most people take for granted. Ken, another statement by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And to make all men see, I'm just going to stop there for a second and just repeat this, and to make all men see, this is really important, and then it goes on, what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ? So here again we see that the Apostle's talking about that these things are made clear to men to look into. Well, of course, some people don't want to see, and that's the problem. And part of the purpose of this presentation today is to provide the evidence where people can see the hand of God in the environment in which we are located. Another one, Nick, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, if you please. Yes, Len, uh, and just uh, before I read this passage, uh, it's uh, very interesting to see that all these accounts are pointing back to Genesis. And we are studying today uh, about creation and Genesis as the foundation because uh, people are um, inclined these days to disclaim the 
first few chapters of Genesis uh, because it makes it hard for them to believe certain things. Uh, but all these accounts refers back to Genesis, those first few chapters. And I'm reading here in uh, uh, from verse uh, 14. It says that, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived felt into transgression. Again, uh, referring to uh, Adam and Eve, which uh, we learned earlier that God created uh, humankind, created man and uh, female. Yes, Jesus believed in creation and Adam, and uh, the apostles did too. So there's no reason, as far as I can see, no good reason, why people today shouldn't believe in the creation account as is presented in the Bible. Helen, another one. What did the Apostle James have to say in James 3 verse 9? Interesting. He was talking about the tongue and he said, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. I found that interesting. He was talking again about being made in the image of God. But when you also look at it, we're given a picture of being made in God's image, but the tongue gives us a picture of our basic sinful nature as well. Yes. And, of course, Genesis says that God made man in his own image. And uh, the apostle um, James certainly supports that. What did first Peter, or what did the apostle Peter say in first Peter 3, verse 20 there, Will? Len, so far the uh, texts that we have quoted uh, were uh, is a confirmation of the creation record. And now the Apostle Peter goes one step further. You see, evolutionists contend with creationists or the Bible, not only about creation, but about the worldwide flood as well. And uh, Genesis, uh, the Genesis flood story uh, spoken of by, by Peter in 1 Peter 3.20, He says, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. All right. Well, from my reading, I understand that there are a lot more geologists and geomorphologists who are slowly accepting the formation of various structures of the earth due to water movement. Now, not all of them agree with Noah's flood, but they are accepting that most of our formations on the earth are like that because of the water. As someone who believes the Bible, I can see that it's through Noah's flood. Two more texts, and then I'd like to just make some concluding remarks. Jude, the second to last book of the Bible, in verse 14. Yes, it says that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about this man. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. So he is talking about the generations. Enoch comes from in the seventh generation from Adam. So God created also generations of people. 
Yes, yes, uh, that's rather interesting. We could go into that a lot more. And a last statement, Ken, from the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church at Laodicea, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So here again we have a message which is really important, and it's a time frame message, and it's the last church, which is the days we are in today. Well, today we've been looking at various evidences, comparing the what the Bible says with uh, popular theory of the day. We've been looking about how matter came to be, how time came to be, how life came to be, how mankind came to be. We've also looked at some of the statements made in the New Testament supporting the Old Testament description of how those things came to be, that it was created by God. Those who claim that the Bible is their basis of faith need to understand that the New Testament is not separated from the Old, but is integrated with it. Jesus, who's our example, believed, understood, quoted, and spoke about creation account as fact, as did the other New Testament writers. These are very powerful reasons for anyone to believe the account of origins as presented in the Bible. Do you believe it? And Will, would you close with prayer for us, please? Sure. Our loving Father, we've seen that both the history of the earth and uh, our own personal beginnings are well documented in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We thank you for the, for the clear word of God. Frankly, without this understanding of our origins, the origins of the human race and of the cosmos, we would really be confused and uh, perhaps without hope for the future. Thank you for the clear word of God. and We want to make it our rule of faith, Lord. Help us to this extent in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, panel, for uh, your input today. Uh, just to remind our listeners, we are uh, talking about how to interpret scriptures. And uh, today we are talking about uh, Genesis as foundation for the uh, creation. Next week, we are going to look into uh, the Bible as history. Please join back with us uh, next week. Until then, uh, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.